1: It's time to accelerate! Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello, and welcome to Accelerate. We have a special show for you today about Brexit. That's right. Brexit is the term coined for the UK's recent decision to exit the European Union. And today I'm going to talk with three guests about the ramifications of Brexit in both the near term and the long term for business in general and sales in particular. You'll hear views about the uncertain future and the strategies sellers should be pursuing now to win new business. My guests are not political commentators, but sales, marketing, and business experts, but they're also individuals with very definite opinions about the pros and cons of Brexit. So first off, I'll be talking with Tim Hughes. Tim is the UK-based founder and partner of Digital Leadership Associates, a social digital transformation agency. He is one of the leading experts globally on social selling and the author of a great new book titled Social Selling, Techniques to Influence Buyers and Changemakers. Tim was previously on Accelerate in episode 157, titled The Five Pillars of Social Selling to Reenergize Your Pipeline. After Tim, I'll be talking with Regie Lemons. Regie is the Brussels-based founder of Sales Cubes, a consulting firm which helps sales organizations to innovate and co-create value with their customers. He is also a professor in sales and sales management, teaching at business schools in Belgium, the Netherlands, and in the UK. Regie was also previously on Accelerate in episode 76 titled, The Future of B2B Sales and the Changing Role of Sales Reps. Finally, I'll be talking with Bob Apollo, Bob is the UK-based founder of Inflection Point Strategy Partners and he is an expert on the subject of value-based selling for the complex B2B sale. Be sure to check out my previous conversation with Bob in episode 66 of Accelerate titled, How to Simplify and Shorten Sales Cycles with Value-Based Selling. First up now, Tim Hughes. All right, joining me now is Tim Hughes. Tim is a social selling expert based in the UK. He's just published a great new book coming out called Social Selling, Techniques to Influence Buyers and Changemakers. And he's recently founded his own new company called Digital Leadership Associates, a social digital transformation agency. Wow, that's a a mouthful there, Tim.
2: It it is, Andy, (laughs) yes. Um, It's really exciting times, what with the book coming out and uh, starting an agency. Uh, We see see there's a real gap in the market in terms of real practitioners um, giving... Uh, large b2b organizations um, practical help about moving towards digital and social all right and that's what and that's what we're about
1: excellent excellent well, we're, we're gonna come back and talk to you another time I know about your book and we'll, we'll get into your new company but today, Thank we're you. Like, today the topic is brexit you know we can't, yes. we can't escape the news about the UK voting to exit the EU and it seems like to me that that's going to start creating some complications over time if not more immediately for Businesses trying to sell product into the EU from the UK and vice versa from the EU back into the UK. So, what do you see as some of the short-term implications? Practical short-term implications for business as a result of this.
2: So far, what I'm seeing is is uncertainty, and and I think while the the leading while we don't have a prime minister, that that uncertainty will probably carry on. But, uh, and, uh, and what we're, we're hoping for is that that leadership election will be over very, very quickly and immediately people can actually start showing some some leadership. Um, but there again, what you've seen is that um, George Osborne, the, the chancellor, has already put out a, uh, a plan from a, a fiscal point of view in the fact that he's basically cut corporation tax. And um, so he, he's cut it to 20 percent. So in the EU, he can only cut it down to 15% because of EU rules. Mm-hmm. And this, this is a classic example of where people are telling us about how, how we run our country. Yeah. Um, so, you know, what, what, what better way to, to tell people that we're open for business and for, for big companies and for individuals to, to come to our great country, which is to show that we actually have a, an environment for, for businesses or a low taxation uh, environment for businesses to work in. And that's really what we're doing in terms of going out to the market, or what George is doing is going out to the market and saying that the UK is owned for business. And so, in terms of, you
1: know, we're going to have this new economic environment in Europe where there's going to be new trade relationships existing between the UK and the EU and potential tariffs in place that currently don't exist. It seems like that's going to take us back to an age, perhaps, where uh, even more emphasis being placed on being able to sell value of what you're selling because you might have lost some of your cost competitive advantage.
2: Well, um, interesting point. I mean, we, there will be discussions required, required uh, around trade. But you know, if you look at you know, before the election, we were being told that, you know, the Germans don't want to talk to us. And, and and of course, now we've actually agreed to go to Brexit. They're saying, how quickly can you get around the table? You know, we're, we're the biggest buyers in Europe of, of um, German cars, VWs, Mercedes and BMWs. And um, they want to get around and, and, and talk to us about, you know, how they can keep importing to them importing them. The same as we were told before the election, Obama came over and said that we'd be back at the queue. All of a sudden, we're now at the front of the queue. <laughs> um, so, um, you know, you know, the UK's always been a great trading nation. Um, we speak the the, the, um, the language of commerce in terms of English. Um, and everybody is all of a sudden now queuing up, wanting to have these, these, these trade relationships. So, from a B two B sales perspective, I, I mean, I'm hearing of deals and uh, where they're being shelved. But I kind of feel that maybe there wasn't really a um, there wasn't a business case in the first place, and people are kind of using this as an excuse. That the, um, the, the reason for the reason for, brec- for Brexit is that we as a, as a country can actually then define how that we actually trade and how that we do business. And if, if, as all as we're already doing, is cutting the corporation tax, you know, we can become a, 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 a country where everybody wants to trade. And that will bring people in, um, that will bring companies in, that will bring um, people from all different uh, countries that can add value into the country, and it will je- create wealth. And I think it's, a, um, isn't it Kennedy saying that, you know, when the tide comes in, all the boats rise? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and that's, a, you know, a thing where, you know, people want to come to this country. There's a certain amount of uncertainty. But once we get that uncertainty, people will still want to come. You know, you, you for example, when uh, when the French put their uh, income tax rate up to 60 percent, you know, we now have 700000 French people in in uh, um, in London because people don't want to pay 60 percent tax. They want to come to a place which is thriving and with, you know, a cultural center, but they, they, they don't want to pay, you know, you don't have to pay um, 60 cents for every dollar that you earn.
1: Or be limited so, to 35 hour work weeks.
2: Yeah, yeah, or, or, or be limited. Yeah, yeah. And, and one of the, the problems that you get in, in a lot of European countries is that it's so difficult to get rid of people that you don't take people on. So there's a lot of people in, uh, English people who work in Paris, but they're on English contracts. Um, And that's one of the ways ways that the French people get around that. Gartner do that, for example. Um, And um, so, so, you know, they they have high unemployment, especially uh, amongst youths. And the only way that they can get around that is to have uh, contracted staff. Um, And so, you know, what we have in the UK is a a flexible workforce that can kind of move where where, where, where you need it to go. Um, and as long as we keep investing in education and keep the skills going, then you know we've got a, you know a great place to, to to go back to where we were, or kind of you know build that platform that um, where everybody wants to do business with us.
1: So what you're saying is Brexit then actually is a net positive because in the long run it creates a more competitive UK, uh, not just uh, in Europe but worldwide.
2: Yeah, the, the the whole point of of Brexit is to create an entrepreneurial. Um, uh, country, a country where people want to come and trade and people want to come and work and, and, and people want to um, place their businesses in their HQs. I mean, you've seen, you know, before, before the vote, there was a whole number of financial services organizations that said, oh, yeah, we're going to go to Frankfurt or, or Paris. right? And they've now all turned, they've all turned around and said, well, actually, we didn't really mean that and we're not going to do that. And the reason why you know HSBC and you know, there's two financial services hubs in the world. There's New York and, and there's and there's London, London. Right. And and the reason why they're there is because that you've got a whole talent pool that you can you can um, you can tap into. Um, and 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 the pe- and and the way that you attract those people is you bring them to cities that are th- you know that are vibrant and thriving that people want to work in.
1: Well, it's part of the inf- um, as uh, you said. You have the whole ecosystem and infrastructure there. I mean, it's not yes. not too dissimilar from saying, "Look, we're going to rip Silicon Valley out of Silicon Valley." Right? I mean, there's all these other low tax states in the United States that have lower tax rates than than California, but they're unable to attract sizable numbers of businesses because the infrastructure and the ecosystem is there that help these startups thrive and survive.
2: Yes, and and Frankfurt is important, but it's it's from a uh, you know it's it's a fraction in size to, to, to London. Um, and anybody who's been to London, and I, and I you know, put, the, you know, invite anybody who's listening to, to it to come out to London. You know, if you walk around the city, you will feel the the the, 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 um, the energy just as much as you do if you walk around some places in New York. It's, it kind of flows in the air. You can kind of just just feel it. Mm-hmm. And 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 you know what? Well, and, and we you know we're able to you know, make decisions about uh, how we're going di- to um, uh, run things. And that will be that will that that will create wealth for everybody. And, and bre- you know, Brexit, you know, it's, there's been a, a number of debates about, um, you know, good or bad brec- Brexit. It's kind right. of to, to use to, to use the terminology right now. It's it, 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 we it, this is our disruption. And, right. and we've been through a disruption like this before where you know some people some people don't like it um, some people liked it uh, but um, so if you if you take the 70s you know we we were the country was generally run by the trade unions we had strikes um, you know all the time we were on the three-day week we had power cuts because um, you know because of strikes and what happened was that Margaret Thatcher came along and said no more and we went through um, a number of years of Quite difficult pain, but when we came out the other side, most people would say the society that we have today is better than the society that we had in the seventies. Right. And and what what we're going to see with Brexit, probably much quicker. The fact that George Osborne has made, immediately um, made some changes to um, the corporation tax is that what you'll see is that the UK will become a low tax. Um, uh, Place that people will want to come and work and, and, and companies will want to come and work. And very, very quickly, all this thing about the uncertainty of that will go away and people will go, yeah, we should have done this years ago.
1: Yeah, so it's just sort of interesting. I think that, you know, about you're talking about uh, the UK becoming a, a low tax haven where, what was it, 30 years ago? You know, it's all the talk about the celebrities that were fleeing as taxiles from the UK, living in Monaco. We had place.
2: we had eighty percent tax. You know, the Ro- We had the Beatles and the Rolling Stones, and they all went to live in France and America because because um, there was a um, the Chancellor Dennis Healey at the time uh, did a, a quote that he was going to s- squeeze people to the pip squeaked, um, <laughs> and um, and that's what happened. You know, the, the tax of 90 percent. Um, and, you know, we ended up getting down to 50 and now 40% tax. And there's no reason why we can't actually bring the tax rate down even further.
1: So, from a very practical implication, it sounds like the or standpoint, it sounds like the short-term implications for uh, people selling product from the UK into EU, possibly into North America, is some uncertainty about what the the impact of the Brexit could be. So, there could be some short-term Decision delays, decision cycles stretching out. But
2: yes, yeah, and and I think what people need to do is probably sit down and actually identify the sources of uncertainty. You know, the the magnitude and the and the duration looking at certain things you know like the political process the financial economy trade and and if you take currency currencies always go up and down but the fact that we've gone from 1.6 dollars to the pound to 1.3 you know there's been quite a move now it will always move back but if, if people are doing certain business then they can they need to take that into account that, that, that there may be some currency fluctuations uh, but well, which it, actually could be beneficial for
1: the UK sellers in some case, right?
2: Well, well, actually, yes. So, so if you right. take um, um, the fact that the pound's gone down, actually, that means our goods and services are cheaper. That's exactly right. Um, which, which is actually good for the UK and good for, um, uh, for, for the products that we produce. It's not good for us if we want to go to Europe on holiday or the States on holiday because the currency we buy buys us less. But the fact that the currency has gone down ultimately should be good for us. And it will, it will bounce back. Um, and what we're also seeing is that American companies see some of the tech c- companies in the UK now as being cheaper than what they were. Um, and I'm sure that there will be a certain amount of um, mergers and acquisitions, some M and a through that. Um but what people can do is that they, could, they can actually build uh, what I would call an uncertainty map. So look at the things like the political process, the, the, uh, the economy, the trade, attach a value to it, and then build, build an uncertainty map where they can work out certain scenarios and a risk plan. But I, I don't think that the, the Brexit issue um, is going to be – it's not going to be years – um, it's going to be it's going to be short until they press the button, which is called Article 50, which is as soon as they invoke Article 50, they need to they get they're given two years to basically come out of the, um, the European Union.
1: And do you think there's a chance that it gets reversed at all? I mean, it seems like there's um, this groundswell of support in the UK among certain uh, sector sectors to try to reverse it.
2: Well, the, the, um, um, the, the, the vote was 52% to 48%. And um, before the election, um, to get out of the, uh, the European Union, generally you were looking at about 55%, 60% of a, approval for that. As we, as we went towards the election, it came down to um, – it was a 52 48 So, it, you know, we work on the first-past-the-post uh, process here, for democracy, so the the majority wins. So the majority voted for Brexit. Um, now, I think what happened during up running up to the election was that neither side explained the political process. And I think that once people understand the fact that this is uh, Brexit could be good for the country, mm-hmm. what people, what will happen is that you'll find that um, that the the, the the minority of people, the forty eight percent, that position probably softening.
1: Okay. Well, good. So, let's just sort of summarize then is that some short-term uncertainty from your perspective, short-term uncertainty, companies put together, as you said, an uncertainty map or sort of yes. risk, a risk yep. map, if you will, that yep. says, look, you know, we may need to tweak how we're actually selling in the short term in terms of how we pitch our value proposition and so on because there is this uncertainty. But if you fundamentally, you have a great business case that you develop for product or service then you still should be able to close those deals. Yeah,
2: absolutely, yeah. And and the business case uh, and working with the client to build that business case is critical.
1: Excellent. Well, Tim, thanks very much for Thank joining you. me today, and we'll look forward to talking to you again shortly. Thank you, Andy. Next, I'll be speaking with Reggie Lemons. Now, welcoming to the show Reggie Lemons. And, uh, Reggie, how are you doing today? I'm doing fine. Hi, Andy. So Nice to uh, have me. Yeah, yeah. So, gosh, has been, you yeah, we really that's like, can't escape the news about what's happened in the UK and Brexit and so on. So, it seems like that could create some complications for sales professionals both on the continent and in the EU as well as in the UK. So, what do you see as some of the practical short term implications for business with Brexit?
3: Well, on the short term, this has created a lot of uncertainty. So, we, we don't actually really know what, what Brexit will mean. Um, everybody over here didn't expect it to to, to happen. Uh, even in Britain, they didn't expect it to happen. No, no, they didn't. Uh, <laughs> I uh, I just happened to have my neighbor is a uh, is in the parliament, in the EU parliament, and so I have some inside information thanks to him. And and he basically told me, he says, you know, whenever there's an election, we usually have a plan A and a plan B. And he says, I can I can guarantee you, there was no plan B here. They never, never believed in the UK. That, they were, that the vote was going to go this way. So they had absolutely no communication plan whatsoever to um, to manage it. So it's a, it's a surprise, and I think it's a surprise for everyone. And I think, you know, whenever in business, we don't like surprises. surprises no. Basically, it's the same thing as uncertainty. So it creates a lot of uncertainty at the moment.
1: So the uncertainty in the short term, especially for as it affects sales professionals, is that people are going to sort of lengthen out their decision cycles. You know, if they were evaluating new products or services, maybe they're going to sort of sit a while and see what what happens.
3: Well, it, it depends on the industry. Um, and I was this afternoon, I was in the banking industry, and I can tell you in the banking industry, they're definitely holding out on some decisions because they don't know what's going to happen. Um, the UK, London being a, a hub in terms of finance, right. what's going to happen there, uh, nobody knows. Well, there seemed to be a lot of talk about,
1: you know, 10, 15, 20,000 jobs relocating from London to Frankfurt or Brussels or somewhere, but it seems like they've been backtracking from that.
3: Well, they're backtracking also a bit because there seems to be also a lot of talks we hear about you know, backtracking from the whole uh, Brexit idea, that they might have another referendum, or that the Parliament still has to rec- you know, ratify the referendum, so there might still happen a lot of things. So, again, no, nobody really knows. Basically, what remains is uncertainty. And, you know, in sales, as soon as you have uncertainty, you know, everything takes a long time to decide.
1: <laughs> so, I mean, you work with a lot of different companies, as you mentioned, different industries. From a sales perspective, what, what are you advising them to do sort of here in the short term? And then let's talk at the long term perspective.
3: we basically advised them. I mean, there was this afternoon as well. We're having a discussion and the the conclusion we reached is, let's just ignore it. Interesting. Yeah, because we don't know. Uh, And either we we stop everything, we don't do anything anymore or we just ignore and we hope that in the end things will work out one way or the other. Um, And so let's just continue business as it was and see what happens. And that's seems to be basically the, the, the general idea that most businesses go about now. Because it's just nobody knows. It could go anyway.
1: Well, and It seems to me that, that it really puts a premium on something that you and I spoke about in the interview when you were on Accelerate uh, back several months ago, which was this idea of co-creation of value and really focusing on selling the value, helping the customer uncover the value of what, what you're selling, what the benefits will be for them in the long term. It seems like this puts even more of a premium on that right now, because if there's uncertainty, the way you sort of work through the uncertainty is you make the business case even more compelling.
3: Yeah, that's true. Let's focus on. Yeah, I agree with you. That would be my 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 first impulse as well. Focus on the short term. At least we know the Brexit is not going to be any reality for the next two years. So whatever you whatever we can focus on the short term, we can do business on. Having said that, there's quite a lot of instability in terms of the overall markets. Interests are low everywhere. Um, the stock markets are pretty high everywhere. So, question is about, how, is there a correction coming? What's going to happen? And predictions are here now that, you know, we had a discussion with the bank this afternoon, and we said, you know, let's look at the long term now. Let's focus more on things that we know are stable, businesses that we know are stable, and let's focus on, on on the longer term and not on the short term. Because on the short term, we don't really know what's happening at the moment.
1: So where are those areas of stability that you're seeing, at least in the, the European
3: <laughs> economy? <laughs> well, at, at first, it was the banking industry, believe it or not. Um, yeah, because it was... The thing is, banking industry and also the you know the the producers, the Proctors and Gamble's, the 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 big brands, consumer products. Yeah, right. You know, they've been there for years. They'll be there tomorrow as well. People need to always buy diapers. Yeah, yeah. A bit, bit, you know, focus on 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 things we know. Focus on stability, the long term. You know, whatever's going to happen in the short term, it will it will correct itself, and you know, we'll end up okay. And banks were, were also something which, of the financial industry in Europe at least, you know, has been greatly undervalued because of the financial uh, crisis. So there's been a lot of talk about, you know, perhaps that could be a, an area where there's still a lot of growth, you know, possible. Um, but then again, you know, you have the Brexit and, and all the finances being in London, so it's a discussion. It's a discussion at the moment. should we focus on the finance industry? Is there a lot of businesses do have possibilities there for Europe or not?
1: Well I would think that that corporations looking at making investments in uh, infrastructure and uh, you know making the operations you know, more productive and so on given the low interest rate environment, still seems like again a fairly compelling argument to go forward in most cases yes. before that changes.
3: Yes. No, it's true. And I can just be, you know, being based out of Belgium, at this stage, uh, we, we've, we, we see records high in terms of loans. There's an, a huge amount of loans uh, that banks are providing to, uh, to corporations. So there's a lot of investment happening at the moment. So although you say Brexit, you say a lot of you know instability, but if we look at the fundamentals, we do, we do see a lot of businesses are just investing. A lot of people are also believing that the Brexit in the end will not be such a terrible thing, that it's mainly a political debate rather than an economical debate. So that somehow, you know, in the end, people will wake up like after a, after a hangover and will say, oh, we did a mistake and, you know, let's correct it. And that, that's, what, that's what we expect, basically.
1: Uh, yeah, it seems like that could be one of the, the logical outcomes, given that, that the UK was maintaining their own currency throughout this, you know, the EU, membership in the EU anyway.
3: Yeah, they've never been much of a European partner anyway, to be perfectly honest.
1: Yeah, so what implications do you see, let's say Brexit does sort of move forward, and I know this is you know, pure speculation and projection, but, but in terms of you know, selling from the UK into the EU, you know, has that become more difficult for UK-based companies? And so what do they need to be thinking about as they plan what the future could hold?
3: In theory, yes, because we're going to see import tariffs uh, happening again. Um, in practice, to be quite honest, I don't think anybody believes that will happen. Everybody believes even if the Brexit will go, away, go ahead, there will be some kind of deal that will be made uh, somewhere down the line, because remember, we still have two years, and there will be a deal, and we will do business together. It's mean the tariff,
1: the tariffs won't the tariff barriers yeah, won't be as high or as formidable not, as they were before.
3: No. No. And if, if if they if they might happen, they will happen mainly out of a political, you know, retaliation that afterwards will go away anyway. <laughs> so
1: much to do about nothing perhaps.
3: Well, yes and no. Yes uh, and no, because what we do see, and that is something that, that is worrying in Europe, is that the Brexit is just between the UK and Europe, but we do see more popular movement like we had in the UK mm-hmm. also popping up in other countries. So
1: More of the nationalist movements. Yeah,
3: yeah. There's a general sentiment in Europe of, you know, is this the way we should move forward? Um, and that, that is something that is worrying. So, so it's not just the Brexit. Integration versus
1: disintegration.
3: Yeah. I think the, the, the Brexit is a symptom um, of a bigger problem. Uh, a problem of the EU. You know, and we talk about selling. Here's something which we, we've not done well. The EU hasn't been selling itself well to its uh constituents. That's interesting. Um, and I think we, you know. how so
1: if, where have they fallen down?
3: I think it's becoming something which has become um Something we don't understand anymore. you know we, we we tend to believe something we understand. We know from the science of persuasion if your customers understand something that you're selling, it gains into credibility. Mm-hmm. I don't think we understand how the EU works anymore. It's becoming so big and so complicated that it, it we disconnect from it. But however, what we do understand is our daily lives and and the problems we've got. Uh, we, we, we tend to say, well, we've got these problems, the EU is not solving it, we don't really understand what the EU is doing and what the EU means for me. And you know how it is, like, you know, you know the saying, failure has uh, has no father and success as many. <laughs> uh, I think it's a bit this, you know, right. we, we blame, and that's the, the Brexit as well, eh? the English are blaming everything on the foreigners and on the EU, and that's why things aren't going well enough. And And that's an oversimplification, but because the EU hasn't been good in selling itself to its constituents, yeah, that's, that's what we're left with.
1: Well, I think, yeah, very, very similar in the US. I mean, you talk about you know, the anti-big government political movement. Uh, you could say that's really based on a failure of government to really demonstrate the value that they're providing
3: to the constituents. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure you must have the same thing in the
2: US as well.
1: Oh, yeah, 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 we're in the midst of an election season, as I'm sure you're, you're as aware as yes. we are as painfully aware as we are. and uh, yeah, I mean we're not without you know the, the nationalist fervor and sentiment you know, infiltrating our, our campaigns as well.
3: Yeah So I think that, that that's the biggest danger we've got in Europe at the moment, and that creates uncertainty and, and we know that uncertainty is, is never really good. So um, does part of
1: that then say, gosh, you know, as companies we need to spend more of our time than looking at you know, export markets like North America, like Asia, that uh, perhaps have uh, less uncertainty associated with them, at least if you're selling into the US or China?
3: There's a, yeah, there was a big talk about the emerging markets. Should we focus more on the emerging markets and doing business there and see what's happening here? Because there's also not so much growth in Europe. So if you're looking for growth, yeah. And a BAP stability, stability that was associated with, with, with Europe is now less and less associated with Europe, It could be.
1: Interesting. Well, good. Well, yeah. Rajiv, thank you for taking a few minutes out of your evening to, uh, to talk with us.
3: Oh, it was a, a pleasure, really. Well,
1: well, good. Well, thanks again. We'll look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you very much, Andy. And my final guest of the day, Bob Apollo. Okay, now I'm joined by Bob Apollo. Bob, how are you doing today?
4: I'm doing very well, Andy, and I hope you are.
1: Ah, doing quite well. Thank you very much. So, you know, we can't escape the news in the last few, couple of weeks, really, and actually some weeks leading up to that about Brexit, about the news about the UK voting to exit the EU. And wanted to take some minute and talk to some experts uh, about what this could mean for sales professionals, for business in the UK, in the EU. As for North Americans selling to those as well. So, um, what do you see as sort of the sort of practical short-term implications for business and sales from Brexit?
4: Well, Andy, I'll tell you, I, I think the news came as a pretty profound shock to most uh, technology-based businesses in the UK. And um, there's no doubt that there's now a certain amount of um, uncertainty about the way in which the British economy will evolve, at least in the short term. That's not to say that, you know, once all of this has panned out, uh, years of negotiations and so on, uh, the UK economy may find itself in a different and maybe equally competitive place. But it's no doubt injected a lot of uncertainty into investment decisions.
1: And do you see some of the uncertainty in your own business right now?
4: Well, it, it, it's interesting. Um, I haven't seen any immediate impact on, for example, the number of potential clients that I find myself talking to. What I do see is though, that they're becoming particularly concerned um, about really making sure that they execute impeccably in their sales cycle. Um, and this is not merely their ability to uh, compete against the obvious competition. I think there's an awareness that they're going to be competing against no decision. Now this is not something uh that's radically new but in the current climate it does appear that their customers are going to be more cautious in terms of their investment decisions. Uh you know they may delay uh decisions if uh, the problem is not urgent.
1: Interesting. So yeah, because I saw I start to see that the one of the implications is It's interesting you bring that up about no decision in the short term, because I see that that puts more of a premium on really understanding the value proposition you're selling, being more effective selling the value, and certainly something that you focus on in your work. And I see that sort of continuing on assuming Brexit proceeds apace, as I sort of talked about in the next two years all the relationships are renegotiated, trade relationships are renegotiated, and if there's some additional tariffs put in place, it seems like the mastering your business case becomes even more essential.
4: I think that's absolutely right. Um, You know, it really uh, only reinforces a trend that I think we've both observed. Um, You know, the vital importance of having um, a a really uh, effective and compelling value proposition that isn't just a generic uh, value proposition, but is really adapted and tailored to what you've learned is particularly important to each individual client. Um, So those skills, those um, well-developed selling skills of tailoring a value proposition to each prospect's individual priorities, I I think are just going to be so important. And they will distinguish uh, the more effective salespeople and and sales organizations uh, from the less effective ones.
1: Yeah, well, I think especially, yeah, you enter into, a, a, let's say, a tariff environment where suddenly your product is, or just given the, the change in, in currency exchange rates, is your product is suddenly 15% more expensive than it was before. And you still have to make a case.
4: You do. Uh, and, you know, it's very hard to predict um, uh, what the outcome will be with regard to our tariffs going to be imposed. I, I think it depends on whether our friends in the European Union uh, wish to uh, punish us for our impertinence um, as uh, you know something to dissuade other countries from doing it or whether they want to take a or they choose to take a pragmatic approach to negotiations whereby um, you know we don't want really either party's economy to uh, to suffer in the long term what harms us will actually harm europe um, we'll see. It, it's, uh, it's unpredictable at the moment um, what attitude uh, negotiators will take. But I will tell you that the impact of the currency movement, which happened almost immediately, um, is certainly putting um, a squeeze on organizations who directly translate um, you know, dollar or euro in, into sterling. And I think it's going to be hard to justify uh, to a prospect, um, why uh, you need to increase your prices for uh, you know most of my clients are software vendors. What is after all an intangible good? Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's really um, almost all the value effectively is in the original intellectual property.
1: Yeah, I mean, and given the way the the margins are typically set up, I mean, there's it's not like there isn't some flexibility.
4: So we'll we'll see, um, uh, and I th- I suspect. That salespeople will find that they need to draw upon some of that flexibility, but they they also need to be making, uh, and this is something we've touched on before, haven't we? You mm-hmm. know, a really compelling business case driven by true value.
1: Right, and I think for hiring managers and people bringing on. New sales reps or bringing, you know, recruiting rep reps into your company is the focus on people with specialized knowledge that can make that case as opposed to hiring the generalist that you want to invest significant of time bringing along. I think it shifts the balance more to hiring the specialist than the generalist.
4: Well, I, I think there are a number of shifts in recruitment going on. Um, one of the significant um, ones that I've observed. Talking to the chief executives that I've been working with is a uh, acknowledgement that uh, pure experience, if it's not complemented by the right attitude, the flexibility, the curiosity that is characteristic of a top salesperson, you need to look for you know both experience, uh, maybe a specialised knowledge, but certainly the adaptability, the agility, the yes. attitude um, that's going to help you shape. Uh, you know, what may need to be increasingly flexible and creative uh, business cases.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, that, and I, I was sort of contrasting that versus sort of the stereotypical, hey, I need to hire a closer or a hunter or aggressive. You talked about the curious, the learner, the yeah. and you combine that. That's a different skill set, a different mindset, and a different candidate than most companies, quite frankly, are looking for. So, uh, it, and- so in this environment, as we're talking about with the uncertainty coming, you're better off preparing yourself with those type of people is what I'm hearing you say.
4: I, I think you need adaptable uh, people who are still really driven by um, a personal um, learning curve, you know, who have not concluded uh, that they know it all or that they've <laughs> discovered, uh, you know, a winning formula. So all they have to do is repeat it. I think increasingly recruiters are recognizing that, um, you know, the development of their salespeople isn't just a matter of choosing the right training or workshops or what have you. I think you need to recruit people uh, and encourage salespeople to have that personal development agenda as well.
1: And so for managers looking at potential channel strategies, let's say UK-based sales managers or looking into the EU or actually even North American uh, sales managers looking at channels into the UK and EU, Uh, It seems like perhaps now is the time, too, for them to look more for partnerships, perhaps, and developing partners in the countries because, I don't know, in the past, before the EU came into being and I was was selling (laughs) in Europe uh, as a North American vendor, we oftentimes had to have partners, right? Because just the the developed preferences for local local vendors. Do you see that sort of coming back to the
4: fore? Yeah, I'm not sure it ever completely went away. But, um, again, particularly if you're in a complex sales environment if your uh, offering is a considered purchase rather than a guaranteed sale um, well, so you we, we'll break,
1: break, excuse me just break that down what you mean by the difference between a considered purchase versus a guaranteed sale
4: well so uh, you know a guaranteed sale it might represent things like uh, I don't know raw materials for a factory or consumables okay. where it's inevitable that an organization will have to buy them the only question is from who okay I got it uh, considered purchases on the other hand uh, are investments that at the end of the day you don't absolutely have to make you could continue to run your business albeit you know the salesperson would argue less efficiently but you could continue to run your business by sticking with the status quo so considered purchases in one way affect the status quo mm-hmm, you know that mm-hmm. that impact that uh, cause uh, the status quo to be challenged
1: right and so your your point about those again taking a step back then the differences might be impact different on on one of the other so you're saying considered purchases are ones that yes. may take so, a little so, bit a little bit longer might be a little more problematic in terms of decision cycles and so on
4: yeah Andy, the the difference between um, you know uh, Essential purchases and uh, you know automatic purchases and considered purchases. Are in a considered purchase environment, customer could just stick with the status quo. They need to be persuaded of the need for change, as well as uh, of the need for your solution. And the sales skills that we've just been discussing mm-hmm. um, uh, end up being particularly important, particularly critical in successfully selling into those considered uh, purchase environments.
1: Yeah, and I think that the point you made earlier, given the uncertainty that can arise as a result of Brexit, is that there's more of a premium on these skills.
4: Uh, You know, it was happening anyway. Sure. But I think any time you then introduce an extra layer of uncertainty uh, into the economy, it puts a premium on those uh, more effective selling skills. It's a, a bit Darwinian in a way. It's just accelerated. The uh, Darwinian process of, you know, the forced evolution uh, of salespeople um, to be progressively more effective at some of these more complex and challenging uh, tasks.
1: So, if a UK-based software entity or a US-based software entity with operations UK comes to you and says, Bob, hey, you know what? What should we be thinking about strategy-wise as a consequence of Brexit? You know, what are the two or three things we should really be focusing on in the next year? How would you summarize that for them?
4: Um, Let's break it down actually into three key components. Sure. Um, Firstly, uh, make sure that you have the right people on board, that, uh, you know, assess your current salespeople, and certainly whenever you make recruitment decisions, that you're bringing people in who contribute to the collective intelligence, the creativity of your organization. So, hire smartly. Mm -hmm. Uh, Two, be really clear about which organizations and which problems you choose to target. Um, Look for opportunities where, one, uh, there is, uh, or you believe you could create a compelling need for your prospect to do something and where you're confident you can position your offering as having certain unique advantages. Uh, to the customer. And thirdly, you know, just execute well at every stage in the sales process. Uh, Work really hard to identify where the bottlenecks and the constraints are, the things that can slow down a sale and uh, focus actually both sales and marketing energy on unblocking those things that might hold back an otherwise uh, promising sale.
1: Okay, so last great summary. And so last question for you, sort of just a personal question. So, no, you're not a political prognosticator, but, you know, where do you think things are going to end up a year or two years down the road?
4: Um, well, I'll tell you where I hope they end up. I hope that reason prevails and that uh, the negotiations, I, I'm you know, not going to pretend that this is the outcome I wanted, but, it, you know, it's a democratic decision. Uh, I hope that reason prevails and um, our negotiations with our friends in Europe are conducted in a pragmatic business-like way rather than one that attempts to uh, you know, prove a point of principle and punish. And I think with, with goodwill on both sides, we can accomplish that. And both the European Union and the UK can emerge stronger for it. It's not inevitable that they will.
1: Okay. Well, Bob Apollo, thank you very much for taking the time to join us today. Thank you. Remember, friends, make it a part of your day every day to do what you did today and deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. An easy way to do that is to make this podcast accelerate a part of your daily routine. Listen in on your commute, in the gym, or maybe as part of your morning sales meeting. That way you won't miss any of my conversations with top business experts like my guest today, Tim Hughes, Reggie Lemons, and Bob Apollo. So thanks for joining me. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guest, visit my website at andypaul.com.
0: Hey, sales strategists. At Revenue.io, we're not just imagining the future of sales. We're building it. We offer the world's most complete platform for revenue teams and we're featured in the most recent Forrester Waves for both sales engagement and conversation intelligence. With revenue.io, you can slash call prep time to seconds, guide your reps in real time to have more successful conversations. And after calls, we generate ready to send recap emails so sellers can keep deals soaring toward the finish line at light speed. See the future of sales now at revenue.io.